0: Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing. Well, thankfully, we're back to discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. We got a little off the rails on our last discussion about a record label, right, guys? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think
1: I, pe- we got some. A lot of people reached out about it. It was there fun. Is, there it was is was a um a podcast.
0: About Victory uh, Records. About Victory Records. They, Holy they, they, hell! What's it called? You know, the Essence.
1: No, I should have done my homework here. Do your um, homework, guys. So it looks like they're they're going to be called the Best of the Bulldog. Oh my God! It's not out yet. It's not out yet. Yeah, they messaged us and um,
0: they want our help Marcus? because we're we're yeah, such we we're, we're such good hosts that they want us to teach them how to make a podcast about a, a record label sure <laughs> <laughs> so marcus is who reached out okay um met a bow
1: marcus and he said good luck uh, buena suerte best of the best of the bulldog is okay where it, so be, be on the lookout for that
0: well marcus if you're listening to this and you need an expert about bloodlet uh, i've been expert uh, over here i'm one of the premier bloodlet collectors of the world, and I've seen them many times, and I have just, I'm um, super fan. Dwight Schrute, uh, Dw- Dwight Schrute, GIF. It's true. It's true, yeah. La-la- and integrity, and all things integrity related. Oh, integrity-related. I oh could, my God, I can yes. throw some some shinfo at you, and some info, and some wild opinions. There's That's three things that I'm good at. Everybody knows that. Shinfo, info. And wild opinions. I agree Jason, with all three.
1: Yeah. Jason, if, if you were allowed to come on and talk about a victory record, what would it be? Reach humanity the is the devil. You man- no, Kav already called integrity. You got to pick something different. No,
0: I, I, no hey, he didn't call integrity. A, we could go on there together. The three oh, of yo. us, we could sure. talk about humanity as the devil. I call dibs on uh reach the sky first LP or gray area. Um, but, but, so, uh, also, I found out a big reach the sky fan is one of our longtime listeners and uh i chat with him about hardcore on the regular this dude it's in a band called inclination his name's tyler and he loves that reach the sky record so bit of bone to tyler Tyler, what's up hey you know what inclination and inclination's great too yeah that's what's up like it's that's like a full a win 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 right there that's like a whole lot of awesomeness Like seven, hey, we just went to 7 Eleven too. I went to 7 Eleven with my kids. I got a yerba mate though, because I don't really drink. Soda, soda. Jason, what are you drinking right now? Bev check. Water? Bev
2: check, I got myself. He's embarrassed. Hob <laughs> hill <Huff, laughs> Starbucks. Hob hates, hates Starbucks. I got a fucking venti iced coffee. You Vin- didn't Starbucks. spill
0: 32 ounces of water just now? You know what no, I got? I
2: How did you know I spilled 32 ounces of water? <laughs> did I tell you that? <laughs> yeah. On the podcast with Oisey, I fucking <laughs> yeah. knocked a, a complete... 32-ounce <laughs> bottle of water just over <laughs> on, a, so, on a box of
0: t-shirts. <laughs> I have a
1: Diet Coke... Uh, big gulp which well, see you later so bit of bow to uh brian baker because you know that's how junkyard formed i've said it before i'll say it again front of a 7-eleven i always go to a 7-eleven thinking i could be i could be starting my future right here with this big gulp
0: like in uh what what's the the suburbia is that the like the remake of it that was like in the 90s don't they hang out at uh is like a liquor store or a 7-eleven I don't know. Anyway, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Jason, <laughs> tell us. <laughs> you know,
1: do you know when the Mongols ruled China?
0: <laughs> tell <laughs> us what we got this week.
2: This week, we're talking about the Iceburn Engine Kid split.
0: Oh, and I've got this on tape.
2: Uh, hey, listen, on
0: tape you hear that? Unboxing. You them. hear that? Unboxing right now. And I'll tell you what, this is, I just unboxed a Iceburn Engine kid split. And this is probably the only Rites of Spring that I'll listen to. Ooh! I'm done. done. All right, I'm gonna head out.
3: (laughs)
1: SpongeBob, me. Yeah. So yeah. So one thing I thought about with this record was uh, go. This this ain't your father's revelation record, or you know that thing like this ain't your mother's, because it's so different. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) it's different from even already the stuff that we said this is different. This is different from that.
0: This is out there. There's a saxophone. There's a trumpet. There's no lyrics. This is a wild ride. Yeah. So better strap in. Yeah. Let's let, uh, let's
1: let somebody else do the talking. But before we do that, it is time to (laughs) what you got. Yo, any, any shouts? No we have no no sponsors, but
2: I got I know a shout. some shouts. What's Yo, your show? This episode is gonna air Wednesday, and that's when the one-up pre-orders are gonna be available. Yo, Hell-Minded Records, that's right, thank many you, many miles Jason. long. So,
1: hellmindedrecords.com. Um, and uh, we're psyched, Jason did a stellar job. On the layout, the Thank you, Joe. Hell-minded, bit of bow to him, friend and f- friend of the pod, uh, and friend in real life. Um, and uh, I'm really excited for it. And we're playing a show in Wilkes Uh They're October 22nd and 23rd. Nice. It's in Pittston, which is like. I think half between wilkes and Scranton.
0: You know, uh, not to get too far off the rails now, but as you may or may not know, I'm currently reading Horizontal Rust, which is a novel by Ned Russin, which oh, is... All out. Rev, it's, it's rev. It's, it's Rev-related, right? And, and wilkes related So yeah. the whole book, no spoilers, but it takes place in the city of Wilkes-Barre, Wilkes-Barre, and oh god, he even says at one point how it's pronounced or how they pronounce it but also something that I didn't really realize because all in all my time of touring I don't think we ever played I never played that area we always played Erie or in Philadelphia or in Pittsburgh so I never hit Wilkes Bar and it's also made up of a lot of smaller cities right it's like kind of a lot of small like towns and it's so it's like the Wilkes Bar well, there's like areas
1: like that's uh-huh. where like title fight uh-huh. these guys are from, and um, all that stuff. So, yeah, this is this is at the Italian American Citizens Club. So, Jason, that's so cool. Jason, you'll fit in and you're an Italian American. Hey, Go. Go. hey, I'm
0: going to see you. One
1: up. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, I thought I was more Italian American than I am when I got my uh. Ancestry. I found that I'm, I guess I'm more of a Greek American. So ah, you Greek that's some punk. shinfo. But yeah, it's All at right. the Italian American Citizens Club, 126 Oak, Oak Street, Pittston PA and like Mindforce are playing Ikulu, Payback. Um,
0: There's a lot of bands yeah, on the, that. What, gig, is, right? what is
1: a mutually assured destruction? Yeah. That's Ace's right? band. Ace, that does form a passion uh, and his other band. Uh, Age of Apocalypse restraining order i mean it's a great sense like, now right it's fun being being the old guys on it like uh-huh. us and strength for a reason i think are the yeah. only like i think strength for a reason have always continued to to play here and there um
0: they were always fun to see so yo i just uh hate five i'm a, a patreon supporter of hate five six so i got early access to the video that was just posted of mind force year of the knife what is that it, it um age of apocalypse is that what it's called yeah and yo my that mind force set it just came out on youtube as well that mind force set is incredible that first song I, I, he yeah the first excalibur.
2: Song. excalibur
0: yo yeah. i've seen mind force uh i've seen them in california i've seen them in philadelphia i've seen them in florida they are such a great life band and uh what a way to, like, just, man, hardcore shows are back. They are back. Yeah. They are back, yeah.
1: What a, what a funny thing, too, that uh, you love Mindforce, but you yeah. probably hate every band that they're influenced by.
0: Okay, blah, blah, what do you blah, got? Blah. What do you got? Leeway. Leeway. Uh, I don't like the first Leeway record with the, like, sign the Leonardo da Vinci cover, whatever. Oh, fuck. Okay. But I like the next one. I don't, not, I don't not like it, but I don't love it but I like the next one with is Desperate that the one measures. yes I like that <laughs> and I actually like open mouth kiss oddly but um I'll tell you who oddly also is a good is a leeway fan my wife her leeway her, record her born to expire record was absorbed into my collection when we got <laughs> married so that's cool uh what else who who else um, uh, I'm not killing case. time I don't really like, like I guess New York stuff. Metallic, Metallica. Like last year stuff. Early Metallica.
1: Metallica. I get, I don't know. Is yeah. You know, you know, hey. it's funny. It's funny. Hav. Uh-huh. We, I had this conversation about the whole influence thing. I got to, um, people saw on the Instagram, I had coffee with, uh, Peter Courtner from yep. Dag Nasty and field day. Uh, cause he, he lives near me and he, he loved the episode. And I was like, Hey, let's meet for coffee. Let me pick your brain. Let's, let's, you know, uh, it was almost like its own mini podcast, and he loved the way Javier, you know, spoke his mind, and he agreed, too, that, like, just because people say something's influenced by something doesn't mean you're going to hear it. He goes, because he he said straight up, he's like, people have told me, like, this band is so influenced by Dag Nasty, and he's like, I don't hear it, Um, but uh, he did enjoy the episode. Field day, so Good I guess news. we'll give a shout
2: A bit of bow to them oh. days. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're playing some shows too They're playing yeah. some shows in October, they're hitting Richmond Yep, they'll Good be here them. in
1: Philly um, They're playing Punk Rock Bowling
2: So check it out Let me um, bit of bow something real quick, my force is playing Richmond Also, uh, there's an Instagram Called Richmond Hardcore Shows, if anyone Is in the area or they're going to be in Around DC or Maryland or Virginia Beach and want to see shows Here
0: in Richmond, check it out uh, I have a shout out slash shameless plug. I was a guest on, uh, there's a zine and a distro and a podcast that's all called Sex and Glue. And it's run by a chap named Brian. And he had me on last week to discuss what I consider to be Converge's best record, Acts to Fall, And we talked about that record. We went track by track and he, and he's having um, guests on and they're discussing every Converge release. Um, In addition to, it's like kind of a side, side uh, hustle for his regular zine or his regular podcast. So that was really fun to do. It was cool to talk about something that wasn't Revelation records on a podcast um, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And then one more bit at bow. I was last night, just wanted to listen to some seven inches and I found the seven inch that came with uh, Dave Brown's book, the adult, oh, the adult crash, crash. Seven the second one that's uh it's a one-sided seven inch with violent reaction uh, barge uh, who else? Anyway, I don't remember who else. Like the Nightbirds, maybe? Yeah, I think Nightbirds is on there. But the first two tracks are Violent Reaction and Barge, and they're covering Agnostic Front and Youth of Today, respectively. And I just got to say, that was a the one-two punch of good hardcore that I needed to listen to last night. Those, I, I am a huge Violent Reaction fan, and to hear <laughs> them cover an agnostic front song. Cause that's exclusively to that seven inch. As far as I know, it might be on the barge song was on SoundCloud, but I don't think that that violent reaction song is anywhere else and uh good stuff. So bit of bow to Dave Brown for sending us that book and seven inch.
1: I want to give a quick uh, bit of bow to Oisey and end hits.
0: Um, I'm holding
1: it's here. I'm holding here the, Downset. check your people, reissue, he sent us, which I got to get out to you guys. And it looks great. It's a gatefold. And actually, this is what's cool. Very 90s. It has a little, um, uh, I'm, I'm pulling it out here. It came with a, like a promo thing. Like one of these glossy um, eight by, I mean, this is smaller, but it's
0: like the, yeah, yeah, the promo. Black and white. I, you so, know uh, what? I I have a few of those I got from my, my friend Dave Ito, friend of the pod, who lived with Dave Mandel, and so he gave me a stack of stuff once, and I had a bunch of promos of Bane, Hope Conspiracy, um, and I, I just have them in an envelope somewhere. Maybe we could, uh, you know, give those to some Patreon supporters yeah. or whatever, and but and anyway.
1: Their, their end hits is, uh, these are now shipping from uh, Death Wish. Yeah, it's really
0: nice oh, looking. For- and uh, it, the, you know the what? Vinyl. The cover almost looks like a Bell and Sebastian record. It does. That's awesome. Wow, that is, the well, you just broke it great. in half. <laughs> I almost
1: broke it. <laughs> yeah, that looks great. It's like, what do they called? Yeah, <laughs> call that it? That's looks, called that looks like, awesome. Uh, tricolor,
0: tricolor. Yeah.
1: But it's, yeah, it's really nice. So endhitsrecords.com, deathwishinc.com, and uh, go check it out. Bit of Boda Oisey. And one more. Uh, this is like a, shameless fan plug. But just before we started recording, I noticed big deal to me might be a big deal to you guys. Um, And I don't know if they listened, but William
0: Goldsmith followed us. You know who that is? Uh, From Sunny Day Real Estate?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sunny Sunny Day Real Estate. and uh,
0: Brotherhood? Foo
1: Fighters. He was not in Brotherhood. I think he was in Resolution. Mm. But I figured I'd give a shout his – He has a new band called Assertion, Uh and they have an album that's called Intermission. And you just already
0: happen to have it in your hands? Yeah, I have it
1: here. Uh, It's on Spartan (laughs) Records, if you go to spartanrecords.com. And it's really good. It's kind of like Sunny Day Real Estate-ish stuff mixed with... (laughs) helmet at times almost and like post hardcore, but I thought it was cool that he followed maybe. He yeah, that's great.
0: Hey, listens? do you, yeah, that's great. That's all great. Damn, no. You want to hear, you want to hear, I have, I just, I remembered a funny story that's sunny day like real the third estate time you've cut me off dog. <laughs> it's sunny day, real estate related. So William, if you're listening, you might find this bit of Shinfo interesting. I played guitar in a band called throwdown and uh, I was in the band while they were writing material to record the demo cassette. I wrote two songs, uh, which went on to be worldwide hits for the band. out, sell Sellout and Slip. I wrote the music for both of those songs. Directly ripped off from Breed Riffs. Thank you very much. So they're like, hey, Hav, uh, we're recording on this day. We're recording for the demo. And I was like... Ooh, yeah, that's not gonna work for me. I'm flying to Seattle to see Sunny Day Real Estate at their reunion <laughs> show, and, and so I guess I can't record. And they're like, "Well, I guess you're on the band then." And I'm like, "Okay, see you guys later." So <laughs> I went. Other friend of the pod, Big John Orton, uh, stayed at his house. It was my first time, like, really traveling around Seattle, and they played "How It Feels to Be Something On." like straight through basically same at mine and then like maybe like in circles and, and it was brand new then yeah it wasn't even out yet i like we sat yeah. there and I, I hate to say it but at the time i was like yo where's the songs from diary where's even like the songs from lp2 and and we but what we got you know that that record it blew us away but we didn't want it at the time we wanted to hear the real Sunny Day Real Estate stuff. So anyway, I got kicked out of as, as was pointed out to me on Instagram recently, I got kicked out of Throwdown to go see Sunny Day Real Estate. And it was worth every yeah. moment. Yeah, when they played Philly on that, the album had
1: been out for like three days or something. Because mm. where they come out, yeah, because they come they used to come out on Tuesdays and the show was on a Sunday. I remember mm. it was cool. So not even a week. They opened within circles and everyone went nuts. And then they, I think they just went straight
0: into how it feels. I think it was the opposite for us. They played and it was in a theater. Like we were in seats and we were like up on the balcony and they played the two older songs for the encore. And so they started and I think they played how it feels all the way through. I think maybe we had gotten this. There's that really cool seven inch that came out before the lp with a bucket of chicken on it yeah like maybe we had that but anyway yeah uh i i'm a huge fan of the first three sunny day records um that is just some good good emotional music you know and uh also i love i feel like i've said this before on this podcast i love return of the frog queen That is such Mm. a good record. Me and my friend Chase Corum saw him play that record, uh, I guess it was a few years ago now, at the Troubadour, which is incredible live sound. And that was a gig, man, just to hear him, like just be, you know, 10 feet away. And he did a living room tour around that time too, where he was playing live in people's living rooms. He still does stuff like that. man. That is so cool. 2019, I think maybe he did.
2: He played Richmond.
1: Yeah, he played at because uh, I know he did something. I think at Gradwell Studios in Jersey, like did like a private showing or something. And he uh, actually speak. He's collaborated with Assertion. Like they've had, oh, nice. they, they'll just jam, and he'll come and sing and stuff. But yeah, definitely check it out, William. Thanks for the follow. Well, as, like, uh, a, a, you know, as fans for over twenty years. Yes, well over.
0: Do you think anyone's gonna be mad that we just jibber jabbered for like 20 minutes before the interview? I know some people get Probably. a little. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> well, I guess you know what. Let's just get into the interview, and then we can jibber jabber some more afterwards. Maybe we'll talk some more victory. Or sub pop. Or sub. Yeah, let's talk sub pop. <laughs> anyway, let's kick it.
1: History, which I think that's a great way to start talking about this record.
4: Yeah, kick, kick it.
1: Because, um, well, first off, we are here with uh, Gentry, who has been uh, on before from Iceburn, and also with Greg from Engine Kid. So we have, because we're here to talk about the Iceburn-Engine Kid split 12-inch. Revelation this special, 34.
0: 34.
1: This is the first split. Now, there was the comps this is this is the first um split it's a 12 inch and it's always at least to me been very mysterious Mm. um you know even we were talking before like there's kind of just the record and you know the tape or whatever you have there's not an insert with a bunch of stuff and a bunch of facts so we're very excited to dig into this one so what's up guys thanks so much for coming on sure
0: yeah. So, you know, I know, a I know a little bit about the history of especially Engine Kid, because Greg, you and I have sat down and talked before about that, but, and Gentry, you kind of touched on it as well, I, I believe a little bit when we t- spoke to you last time, but um, you guys met through hardcore, like a hardcore band, correct? sure
4: sure yeah brotherhood and better way opened for the accused and in in salt lake yeah yeah that was the first time we met i believe right i
3: think it was like april march or april of 1989 Hmm. band i played in brotherhood we got this crazy opportunity to go on tour with um the accused who were uh a local Seattle band, legendary band and, and friends of ours and one of our favorite bands. And, uh, it was kind of a a little bit of a funny story about that tour was that, um, you know, brotherhood was a, was definitely a straight edge band. We were really influenced by what was going on in New York at that time in the, in the, um, you know, 1987 to 89 youth of today and crippled youth. And, um, uh, we were, we were, we were flying the flag as well. <laughs> Stray edge band um, in Seattle. There's just nothing, none of that going on at all. And um, the accused were a band that I grew up with. And I really you know, looked up to and kind of the band that got me into hardcore in the first place. One of the first, the first hardcore show I saw was the accused. And, um, but they, um, they were doing really well. They were kind of like riding the wave, the crossover wave. And uh <laughs> their booking agent was this character from new york named johnny stiff and he said that he wants you know it's like i'll book a, this u.s tour that you guys want to go on but i suggest that you bring out a straight edge band and the accused yeah. were the exact opposite of that <laughs> they were not straight edge um they were you know they're sort of they were uh, from the hardcore scene but they were really like in you know getting into metal and crossover and they liked to party and drink and take drugs and stuff like that but So they kind of laughed, but then they said, Hey, you know, we actually do know some guys in Seattle. The only other guys that uh, the only band that could qualify as a straight edge band are these friends of ours brotherhood. So they invited us to go on tour with them, which was a really kind of a mismatch in some ways, especially back then, but it totally made sense. And their agent was, uh, he was spot on about the, uh, about putting us together on tour because Straight Edge was exploding at that time. And he knew that a lot of kids would come out and 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 that's exactly what happened. All the a lot of hardcore and straight edge kids came out to see us play and they they loved the accused because they were a great live band, super energetic and and fast. And and um and then the the, the kind of the metal heads that would come out to see the accused loved Brotherhood because we were super fast and energetic. So it was a perfect match. And um, ended up being an incredible tour. And it was my first time ever outside of playing outside of um, uh, Seattle with Brotherhood. And we toured the entire United States. Um, it was kind of crazy. But, anyways, long story short, our first show of that tour was in Salt Lake City. Um, there was a the Speedway Cafe uh, with Better Way um, uh, Insight. Insight. Yeah. Is that right? Gentry yeah. Insight, yep. right. Yep. Yeah. i seen the one.
1: flyer. I think it's in the Insight. Uh, yeah.
3: And that's when I met, um, <clears throat> little Gentry of course, but I met all those dudes, uh, Chubba and, uh, Jeremy and, and Doug. And, um, there were some other guys from that scene, like Andy Savar. And we ended up, that, sh- that show was, was really important for a lot of ways. It's like, Started friendships there and that, that, that continue to this day. And um, that's what kind of all started. It was that crazy show.
4: Yeah, and Rich Jacobs was there with you. Yep. Like roadieing, right? Or, or was he just hanging out for a couple shows?
3: Well, Rich Jacobs, he put out our 7-inch, the Brotherhood 7-inch on Skate Edge Records. <laughs> so I think he had traveled from Colorado, Denver, to um, join up with us, give us seven inches for the tour. I think it was just like he had just gotten it ready, or you know, he'd spent like
4: yeah. So Rich ended up, you know, doing all the Iceburn art and everything, um, and the art on this record we're talking about today, the um, split twelve inch that the Iceburn side is is his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we were. Pretty excited to play with uh, the accused as well because I think you know, straight edgers back then were also we were all skaters and we were we kind of came up on like the thrasher compilations, Wild Riders boards that was one that had the accused on it a couple tracks and they were just sick. It had like COC and septic death and all these great tracks. Um, so we were I was introduced to it that way a lot of me and my friends, and then Ronch Records, of course, was carrying the Martha Splatterhead, which I think was maybe the record they were touring
1: on. Is that the one, like, I was actually going to ask about The Accused, because I feel like I've always, I never really listened to them. Like, I love Brotherhood, um, and I'd heard about that tour, which to me, I love stuff like that, where it's like bands that don't really on paper maybe makes sense but then the the actual billing and the way it works out makes you know sense and i think it was cool like for a band like brotherhood to be going out with them and it sort of you know it's different because you're not necessarily always preaching to the choir like when you're in a straight edge band if you're just playing with all other straight edge bands to straight edge people you know it's 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 a little more thrilling, I think, to have to maybe go and open up for this, you know, metal band where there's people you got really have to work extra hard to win them over.
0: You know, so, Gentry, do you remember hearing that your friend Greg had this new band called Engine Kid and and kind of how you got exposed to that?
4: Yeah. How did that come about? Um, I used to hear. We were always going to try to play with his things. I think he had something called Galleon's Lap.
0: Yeah, that was with uh, dudes from San Diego, I believe. Okay. Was that the yeah, one? that stuff's cool, yeah. yeah. I think isn't... um Like, Force Down members. Isn't
1: Nate Mandel in that? Wasn't he in that? Oh, thing? yeah,
0: that's that one. Brotherhood and Sunny mm-hmm. Day Real Estate. I'm getting my, my projects confused. Anyway, yes, you're playing with...
4: <laughs> so we would, I think typically uh like an iceburn tour we would i think the end of 90 i don't know maybe the first one so around 91 92 we ended up in seattle um and i remember hanging out with greg um going to try to see some up and coming grunge stuff and (laughs) but we definitely stayed uh with Ron Gardipi, who is, you know, a great friend of Greg's, the singer of Brotherhood. Um, So I know we would stay with him, hang out with Greg. Greg would come over. So I think those kind of times, early Iceburn, hanging out in Seattle. I remember Iceburn at the end of one of our early tours, ending up in Seattle and hanging out, like staying at Ron's house and... Hanging out with you, going out to whatever, maybe see Alice in Chains or something. I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> something grungy. <laughs> yeah.
3: Did, did uh, we go j- jumping off the arboretum bridge? Ah, uh, that's usually think... that's usually what we would do and take when bands would come into town and take them there.
4: Nice, but
1: so S- Seattle got like Seattle hardcore guys. It seems like we're. I don't, I guess I would think because of everything that was brewing there. I mean, I've said before on podcasts, like if it wasn't for grunge, I wouldn't have gotten into hardcore because that's, I got into, you know, Nirvana and all that stuff brought me to hardcore. And like, I know when Jordan was on here, he said it might've been Gentry or somebody introduced him to a lot of that stuff, Melvin's Nirvana. So I feel like the Seattle hardcore guy seemed like a little bit ahead of the the curve on that am i wrong in assuming that or was it like you guys already knew like oh this stuff is is killer was it just because that was what they were the bands that were going around so that was kind of what you were left with or
3: yeah seattle seattle was difficult for hardcore in the 80s because uh around the mid 80s um the city passed a law that basically banned and outlawed all ages shows from happening it's called the teen dance hall ordinance which basically if you were a club that wanted to host an all ages show, you had to carry like a million dollar insurance policy. So no one, no one could afford that. I had always heard
1: too, the, a lot of times where Seattle was, cause I, I've read it was all hard, to
0: get, up. Books about hard grunge. to get up. Yeah.
1: So a lot of bands would bypass it. So that was why, yeah. like you had, you know, people were pretty, pretty supportive of the whole um, local scene. So that yeah. was why, like, you know, these bands, they built a big local following because it's like if you wanted to hear, you know, anything tangential to punk or metal or whatever, you were really just having to hear local stuff. And fortunately with Seattle, like, there were so many good bands, you know, mm-hmm. like you had Mudhoney, you had Melvins, you had Nirvana, you had, you know, all that stuff going on at that time. Where I guess people didn't really feel the need, like they didn't really necessarily feel the need to see touring bands really? as much. I could be wrong, I, I wasn't around and I'm not from Seattle. Um, but I, that was what I
4: always gathered.
1: Yeah. But a lot of bands came through Salt Lake, though.
4: Um, we were lucky in that we had, you know, Brad Collins, Ranch Records, and he was just dialed into that we're also you know 12 hours from anywhere either side um maybe Boise is kind of close but nobody played Boise really
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, that's hard
4: so they would come through Salt Lake and there was a pretty vibrant um thing going on through a lot of you know tons of it so um yeah we got to see everything almost that was crisscrossing um there at the Speedway where those guys played, you know, Bad Brains, eggs Grill Biscuits, Youth of the Day, Sick of It All. I've seen so many things there. It was it was nuts. Um I think it started one of the early ones was like Slapshot and then SNFU and just all these bands were coming through.
1: And I know when we talked to um Mark and Jeremy from Insight, they were saying, too, how, like, because of the long distance, a lot of times bands would stay in Salt Lake and just kind of hang out because, you know, such a far to get to wherever else you had to go. So they had cool stories about, like, you know, bands staying over their parents' oh, house.
4: Yeah. War Zone, running up their phone bill. <laughs> <laughs> that was a notorious one. Yeah. Rabies. Yeah. I remember saying the, yeah, he was vegetarian, but he ate pink meat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Terrible.
2: Gentry, was that the first time that you met Rich Jacobs at that show? I think so. Yeah. And then, well, hmm.
4: yeah, probably. And then we started going and playing in Denver, um, with various things. Um, so uh, who do like Inside wind, and opened with Instead um, just uh, we would end up going out there and seeing shows or hanging out um, and we met Rich Jacobs and Corey Crowley who was a good friend for a long time um, and then uh, they had a little thing called Donut was it Donut Records or the donut edge i don't know but there was a whole colorado crew like kind of thing happening okay Um, which was kind of silly most of it but it was cool and those guys are funny and there's tons of crazy stories from from that little scene i remember um yeah i was trying to remember some of the other dudes names but (laughs) Um, so we would end up there and then rich ended up going to, uh, school in Utah. And that's when we kind of used to hang out for a long time. Okay. Um, and yeah, he was bouncing around a bit, ended up at San Diego, I think after that. So, but always, yeah, kept in touch with him. Um, and he, he started doing move records later. Um, and uh I think he did a three-mile pilot thing initially or um he did a solo seven inch for me that was super weird. Oh nice stuff. So um yeah, he's always put out records, you know, when he wants to. Um like some people I know. <laughs> <laughs> like Mr. Anderson.
1: Yeah, like this this split is you know it's just we we were saying in the intro, it's like so it's it's weird even compared to the stuff that we already were like, oh this is weird for Revelation. Like this is like just just wild. So I guess let's let's talk first about we can talk maybe about the ice burn part of it. What, 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 what inspired? We
4: what's that? I said, well, what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah,
1: well, what inspired you? So, uh, you look. So, I'm looking at the record, and it says that uh, dances uh, yeah. 1093. I guess is that when you recorded October 93. Yeah. Um,
4: improvisation.
1: Two- yes, improvisations on themes from Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. What made yeah. you decide to be like? You no, know we're gonna we're gonna do this.
4: Well, I think, yeah, we were deep diving on that a bit. Um, You know, there was all talk about revolutionaries and revolution around the time and people into K maybe and other things like that. Um, And for us, the kind of, we were into that, but we were into Stravinsky who like had the most, crazy uh the premiere of the Rite of Spring was one of the craziest shows ever I guess with one of the most notorious like audience uprising and riots um that it started so we were interested in that and we were just interested in other revolutionaries you know like Miles Davis or John Cage you know just drawing from people that um whose ideas we saw as revolutionary music. And of course that translates to life and, a and an attitude. So, um, we were, I was studying that piece in school and getting deep on it. And so, um, me and the sax player actually, um, wouldn't mess around with stuff like that. And then the rest of the band, and I just had these ideas of what if we, you know, take this part, like that sounds like metal to me, or that sounds heavy. Let's get some chunky guitars going on that. And, and just like, um, so I kind of had this vision of, of how all that music sound um, played by, you know, your traditional metal, or hardcore kind of instruments. And, uh, and that's what we ended up with. We only used a couple pieces. That's why it's called dances from rights, the right of spring um, rights of spring, of course, is a band who may or may not have influenced why we liked the right of spring.
3: I think that's what I was
1: going to say. That was my introduction to the whole, the right of spring was, yeah. Album, and then they even have that. Like, uh, there's like the sample at the end of End on End, mm. they're sacrificing for the god of spring. Yeah. I can think of it, <laughs> but uh, so just the, and also, I noticed by the way, the saxophone player also named Greg,
4: yes, it, aka Sax Jock. We called him, <laughs> Actually. uh, Pete Hines from the Chromax gave him that name because. Uh, he was, you know, hanging out with us, this sax player. He's wearing polo shorts and like, you know, these or polo shirts and like shorts with, I don't know, <laughs> just like the most preppy little dude ever. Uh, big dude, actually. But um, <laughs> we're just like, what is this guy? And Pete Hines was like, what the fuck? Sax jock over here. Do you
1: guys, do you guys tour with a... Uh-
4: Enough. um uh, we toured with alloy a bit and so pete was playing an alloy with vic Bondi and some other people um yeah
2: did the sax player go on tour with
4: you he did for a bit he would do like a a week run of shows like let's see reno to northern cal to california and then he'd have to go back home and had kind of a he had a kid and a A wife and kind of you know they definitely needed him around yeah so i think the rest of that tour was basically the lineup that did the new record um you know me chubba cash and james so
1: the new record as in uh the brand new album yeah yeah on Southern Lord. We're yes. here with us. There we go. Little, little, uh, meta. We're getting meta,
4: <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's, there's layers cycles. Um, so yeah, um, that's where we were coming from. I think initially we wanted to do, I think Greg pitched it more as a, um, Mahavishnu kind of tribute thing. And, we, of course, went on our own tangent, and uh, but they stuck true to that. Um, I know on on theirs, I hear um, some Miles Davis stuff that you know creeps its way in there from Live Evil, and uh, maybe some Matume.
1: So, what was hmm. your um,
3: first experience with Iceburn? Man, I mean, my my memory. Uh, if you know, I don't know if this is this is correct or not, but I remember going to see them at a place in Seattle called the OK Hotel. Which you know, I don't know if you guys heard me talking earlier about Seattle and all and the all ages shows problem they had. But um, around '90 uh, 90 or '91, there was a venue that opened up called the OK Hotel that figured out a way around the city ordinance. Um, of, uh, having to have this ridiculous insurance policy if you wanted to put on a holiday show. And so th- I think it was because they had a cafe, uh, uh, attached to their venue. So anyways, um, I saw, I went to go see Iceburn play at the OK Hotel. And I remember, um, and I think I'd heard about them. I'm, oh, I'm sure I'd heard about them from the, uh, Victory, uh, Seven Inch. And, and, um, and I knew, of course, who was in the band because we had, met them a few years earlier when I was in brotherhood and um but uh so that was kind of my what I was expecting when I went to go see them was sort of the you know the the four piece with the singer and 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 the the music they had made on that 7 inch and then when I went to go see them at the OK hotel the lineup had changed quite drastically and gentry was they were three piece gentry was singing he had grown his hair out really long and um and it was funny because my hair was about the same length when I met him. We kind of we kind of looked at each other. I think I had some facial hair going on as well for the first time. And we kind of looked at each other like, no, oh, you kind of look like we would maybe gotten into the same thing, and uh, possibly." And um, and then I saw them play, and they just blew my mind. I was like, "Holy cow, this is not anything like the seven-inch that um that I had heard of theirs." And the music was. Um, it was really interesting and it was progressive and it seemed to have elements of like kind of heavier stuff, like, uh, maybe Soundgarden or Melvin's, but also like King Crimson. There was like this, you know, there's definitely like a jazz influence that I could make out. And, um, I was just blown away. And then, you know, we, I talked to him at the show and, and we kind of reconnected, um, there and, um, and I think at that point I was either in the process of starting or had started Engine Kid or was, was wanting to start a new band. And um so it was just kind of like, it seemed like we were sort of aligned in some ways. Like we had come from the same scene, you know, of music and played in similar kind of bands, but we were looking to, you know, do something different with music and take it further or take it into a different direction, you know. Right. So for
1: you, so you know, um, gentry had Hephaestus was on Revelation. So coming from mm-hmm. hardcore, being in Brotherhood, you talked about who you know Brotherhood was influenced by, which I'll of course have to say, I'm a huge Brotherhood fan. Um Same, I think that's I think that seven inch is one of the best straight edge records ever. Um I digress. But for you it was this was your first release on revelation. Like that had to be still a a trip.
3: Yeah. You know, brotherhood actually on that tour that I mentioned, I don't know if I got cut off on that part, but we went on that tour with the accused. And when we ended up, we played um, in Connecticut at the, uh, the anthrax and um, Jordan came out to see us play. And um, you know, we were such huge fans, of course, of revelation and had mail ordered all that stuff. Um, you know, that whenever it came out, we were always sending money out to Revelation and mail ordering everything. But, um, we met him and, and he had come to the show, um, I guess to meet us. And I think he, maybe he was also in the keys. I can't remember exactly, but we ended up hanging out with him and he took us to the, or the first Revelation office that was, if I remember correctly, was like in this attic or something. <laughs> I don't know if it was somebody's apartment or, what the building was exactly, but I remember it being up uh, way up in this attic. It was really hot in there. And uh, he let us like basically pilfer through and get all uh, the, uh, any shirts and anything we wanted, any revelation stuff. It was kind of a dream come true for us at the time. So I had met Jordan then, that was like 1989. And then um, uh, Engine Kid, our first record was on a local label called CZ Records. And, um, they put out our first, our debut album, They're Catching Fish. And we, um, we kind of had a falling out with that label and that label kind of went under. And so we were looking for a new label and I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'll call up Jordan. He seems to be putting out some kind of different kinds of music different things. I think Into Another had come out at that point. Iceburn, Hephaestus had come out. And so... You know, and we were friends with Iceberg as well. So I thought, Oh, maybe maybe Jordan would be interested in working with Engine Kid. Like, you know, I don't even know if he knew the band at all or not, but he knew who I was because of Brotherhood. So I called him up and he was totally into it. So um the first thing we did uh with Revelation was that split. Um and we were kind of in a the band was kind of in a transition period at the time. We um the drummer that we had, um we he he basically he got kicked out of the band or quit. I I whatever. Um, and we got a new drummer and sort of the direction of the music that we were playing also changed. We kind of got more powerful, more heavy, and we really started I was really getting into um jazz <laughs> like uh especially late sixties, like Mahavish new orchestra and and, and Miles Davis' electric stuff and weather report and stuff like that. So we were kind of exploring some of those, um, some of that, some of those sounds as well. And so right, you know, all kind of happened at the same time. We got a new drummer. We're kind of with the direction of the band. The music started changing a bit. And then we ended up on revelation. Um, and, and that's, uh, yeah, and that's how we <laughs> Obviously the split came about too. So
1: I, I, in the uh, new box set, the engine kid uh, on Southern Lord, there's the booklet, really cool booklet with liner notes. And you talk also about the influence of slint um, just in that, like almost like the loud, quiet dynamics, which you really, you, you, you hear on all the engine Kid stuff, I think is masterfully done as far as having these parts that are really quiet. And then all of a sudden just boom. And that happens. Uh, you know, I was just playing the vinyl copy of this split uh, once again before we recorded. And I was like, you know, when the there's the quiet part, and then all of a sudden when those guitars come in on the first track on your side, uh, the trailhead at Lake
3: 22, it's like in your face. Yeah, I mean, Flint was a very, very important band, obviously, to, to Engine Kid. And that's kind of, you know, when I heard that band for the first time, it was like, it was really, the first time I'd heard a band really using dynamics in in an extreme way and and that's you know that was kind of <laughs> in some ways what engine kid that the blueprint of engine kid was as well is like we really wanted to um explore the dynamics and and execute uh, dynamics in our music and um and that carried on through um obviously like, like you mentioned there's so many there's there's a few parts on uh on that split where that's, that's what it's, it's loud and very, very, very quiet and then very loud. Um, but so that was kind of the formative years of, of engine kid. And that was what we were really um, influenced by was slint but we were kind of take, trying to take the music into even a, a different direction than that with um, uh, the split. And then the, the full length that came after the split angel wings, but um, and I noticed that too when when I went and saw Iceburn, like when I mentioned I saw Matokatel, I noticed that they were also um, experimenting with dynamics. And and I remember I, I probably had a conversation with Gentry um, about that as well, and, and that he was also into Slint. And I and I could tell in Hephaestus there are some some parts that are are reminiscent of Slint. So we were again sort of you know uh, on the same page, Un, unbeknownst to both of us. You know we kind of um th- we're going down s- similar paths in music uh together
4: yeah i we were huge slint fans and i mean just obsessed with it um on especially on the road that tape would let just sit in the van, so I have all these memories of driving through cities and or you know the middle of the night in somewhere and and slint is. I can still remember the slint in the background and I remember we would do a lot of things by mail. So I got, I remember getting, um, Greg sending the, the first engine could tape, I think the astronaut. Um, and that was hmm. like super slinty. Right. <laughs> and, oh yeah.
3: And yeah, so, definitely.
4: <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I was like, Oh, these guys are kindred spirits of course. Um, yeah. And dynamically, Iceburn was definitely trying to do that. And I I always remember trying to get as quiet as possible, like in, in certain parts. And um, it was kind of before a lot of compression and other things creep their way into music mastering. And so we would we would really push the limits of how absolutely quiet we could get it on on a CD or, or vinyl and then. Try to hit, max it out when we um, when we came in. So with, that was definitely in our minds. And sometimes I think it—I don't know if that was the greatest idea in retrospect, but it was, <laughs> it was
3: fun.
1: Mess up a couple people's speakers. No. <laughs> <laughs> that,
3: that was that was always the goal too. Like yeah. let's just destroy people's <laughs> yeah. <let's> destroy people's <laughs> stereos, you know we'll show them, you know, it was kind of like, I guess it was like, you know, that a little bit of a punk rock uh, attitude and influence that was creeping in there and, and sonically, you know, yeah. Um. but, but, but applied in a, in a, in a different way and in a different context, you know, yeah. I mean, to me, like the whole, that whole time, um, a really engine kid in, in general and, and, you know, going to iceberg shows and meeting those guys and hanging out and touring with them. It was just, such a great time of discovering, discovering all kinds of different things, discovering different kinds of music, discovering drugs, <laughs> discovering, you know, like, uh, discovering relationships. Uh, it, it was, it was, I I love that era of my life. And, um, because it is kind of the uh, like the first for, there's so many firsts that happened then, you know, and, and there's, there's nothing like that first time that you discover something that, um, you connect with and that that's exactly what that era um you know looking back that's what i what i when i remember from it the most you know
1: yeah like we've talked about how the 90s it seems like that that period of time in the early 90s when everything was changing was really exciting you know it was exciting for the people in the bands and it was exciting for fans um you know that were of, of the music and just kind of Because you do, you you, all these you got to figure. Like most of the people we've talked to thus far um, on this podcast, even from the first generation of bands, like going back to Gorilla Biscuits, of today, they're all like you know born probably late sixties, maybe early seventies. So you think in the nineties, you're in your early twenties, and of course things change. You're you're growing. You're discovering all this new stuff. And uh, it's kind of like everybody's in it together. And even though like engine kid doesn't sound like ice burn, doesn't sound like quicksand, doesn't sound like, you know, into another, it was kind of cool just to watch all this stuff happening.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny. It's like, revelation may have not seemed like a good, a good place for what we were doing, but Jordan was also, I think, also on the same page in a lot of ways too, and he was interested in in taking it into different directions with what Revelation was doing. And um, and I, you know, it's funny. It's taken me a long time and a lot of reflection to sort of realize and uh, you know take my hat off to Jordan for for taking his chances. Pretty ballsy at that time period too, especially with what was considered the premier straight edge hardcore label. And then he's putting out bands covering, you know, Stravinsky and Mahavish (laughs) New Orchestra and, and Miles Davis and, and doing really bizarre things. Um, and definitely, you know, pushing the boundaries of things. I, I, I think it's, um, it took me a long time to, um, realize what a, bold move that was and choice on his part, um, to support that music. And, um, yeah, it's cool. And did you, did you
1: take some of that and in starting your own label? Like, was that an inspiration for like, kind of how you were going to curate a roster and
3: put out records and all that stuff? Yeah. In some ways for sure. You know, um, uh definitely. I mean, you know, Revelation, Discord, touch and go, those have also been really huge influences for me. And um and I think sort of uh Revelation and in, in uh the way that they have remained um remained open <laughs> In some ways, all—it's been, it's been kind of the—you know—he's been he, Jordan has been uh, persistent with what he's doing, and um, and there's definitely that's definitely been influential for me, um, and like and, and like what we're talking about taking chances with stuff, you know, um, definitely that period in the '90s, uh, he was he was definitely doing stuff that was against the grain, and I feel like a lot of
2: stuff that Southern Lord does is also against the grain was it Jordan's idea for the split or who was it that said we should do a split with these two bands I don't remember I don't remember I think do you remember go ahead were were we touring before
4: I think I think we had maybe played on the road together before the split happened um Mm. I'm not positive though um but I mean,
3: I, 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 yeah, I don't, and I, I'm sorry, I can't recall.
4: Just because I I recognize, you know, uh, there's that thing from Live Evil, it, um, the kind of the talking quote in in your uh, on your side of of course the,
3: the yeah, rec- in, uh, in, uh, uh, in in Amarato, in Amorato, yeah, 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 um, from uh, from Live Evil, yeah.
4: from Live Evil, yeah. and so. I, I swear, like we had listened to that together, maybe on the road or maybe not, and and so that kind of made an impression. And then I loved how you guys worked that in in there. Um, that's that's the only reason I think, but I think it was a lot of it was Greg's idea because um, I remember you wanted to do more Mahavishnu style stuff, and we kind of.
3: Oh really off the deep end. It, it, it's funny, man. I think you're the one that uh, introduced me to that band. Cause I, I'm almost positive that that meeting that I keep talking about at the okay hotel, pretty sure um, that you would, you would, you'd ask me if I knew who that band was. And I wasn't familiar. Mm. And, um, I don't know. Some, some, for some reason that's in my mind about yeah. that, but yeah, but I, but I, I, immediately went out and got, um, the intermounting flame after, I believe after you tell me about it and it was so blown away by the record. And, and then it really sort of was, you know, it changed the way I thought about music a lot for sure. And I was just gung ho to, uh, to incorporate something of that into the injured kid, uh, you know, into our sound. But, um, I don't remember how, I know we were just, we were close friends and, into the same kind of music and we're playing shows together so it's like, oh what about a split record could be cool, you know?
2: Oh no, I was gonna say, uh you're talking about the Mahavishnu Orchestra, and I'm not that familiar with them, but I did touch base with Rich Jacobs and ask him if he remembered anything about the artwork. And he pointed out the similarities of the engine kid artwork right. and the and the Mahavishnu Orchestra.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We took uh from um Birds of Fire. Birds of Fire. Yeah, we we uh we use that as an inspiration for actually the bass player for, for engine kit, Brian Kraft. Um, he drew, he, he drew that. And, um, and yeah, we, we were like, I, I was like, let's do something like that in that style and those colors and yeah. stuff.
2: So, and then on the rich Jacobs side, Ooh, he, yeah, there's birds of fire.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, birds of fire. I can see it now. It's pretty cool.
2: For the rich Jacobs side That's of the artwork. Yeah. Did he, how did that rhino painting come about to be the side of the cover of the, of the ice cream side?
4: I remember him either showing it to me or or something. And I was just like, Oh, I love this. We gotta use this thing. It, It, to me, it felt, I don't know. I've always gravitated towards that animalistic kind of thing. And yeah, like all my tattoos are like elephants or, Horses, mm-hmm. eagles, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and I think that became a theme with Iceburn 2, you know, the polar bear suite and the power of the lion. All these um, things connected with the animal powers.
1: It just but, sounds um, um, yeah, Wuhan
4: well, vision was always a huge um, influence for us. Tons of stuff on their face. And that's again, Brad Collins, you know, Ranch Records, he he's like I think you'll dig this man check this out
2: what's the record to check out for someone that's not familiar I'm not familiar with them so yeah that was that was going to be my question first, too
4: you know intermounting Flame I would probably start that's and that's the first record um I think I started with Birds of Fire which um is is cool as well I was all into you know Odd Meters and when I heard that just hearing how they approached uh rhythms and stuff that was like okay that's where we need to go um and i, I those, was that, th- you hear that in <laughs> slint as well though the odd meter stuff oh, yeah. you also bands like breadwinner which i loved and was crazy about um i know i think greg was super into it as well and, oh uh,
3: man Bre- yeah for for sure breadwinner <laughs> was a huge influence breadwinner and then, you know, Don Caballero, which was a little bit after them, but, uh, but for sure. It, and, and you're right, Gentry. Like, I found that out later that, you know, Flint was always a really huge uh, mystery to me, too. Like, where did they come up with this sound? And then I found out later that they were all really into Mavish. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, mm. I, I get it. It makes sense. And <laughs> that's makes big six plus why I probably, I probably like it as well. But if you're looking for a starting place, I'd start at the first album uh, intermountain flame. That's their debut album. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, the guitar player who's the leader of the band, John McLaughlin. Um, he, uh, he, he, uh, he's a British guitar player and he, um, he got, um, a gig playing with miles Davis, um, in the late sixties. And then he left miles Davis's band and started, um, kind of this jazz rock super group, uh, which became my orchestra, but, and, um, that one to me, it's just like it's got it. It's so powerful, and um, that's what you know. NG Kid, we we could never come close to the musicianship of that band or jazz <laughs> jazz musicians uh, either. And and, and even Iceburn, those guys were like m- so far ahead of us. But we were just so into the power of that music and how and 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 that was really effective. And that's what we were trying to tap into you know we obviously couldn't pull off the chops but um that's what was resonating with us at that time
4: well, like through a hardcore
1: lens you know a punk hard totally lens which yeah. is you know that's something different like you know because this is different <laughs> like i don't know how else to describe it it's like it,
3: it, it well, is. the same, the same things, you know, the same things that we t- turning us, you know, that we were turned on to by hardcore that, you know, the power and intensity of it. That's what I was hearing in Mahavishnu Orchestra as well, you know, yeah. and, and I, and I, that's, I think that's really one of the things why I love Iceburn so much is that, you know, they were, um, tapping into that as well. And, you know, they were all, we all came from the same scene, but they were appreciating the beauty and the power of, of, um, the sound of things like Mahavishnu or, or John Coltrane and things like that. And then and maybe not playing, um, uh, exactly playing the music like that. Um, but, you know, um, filtering it through, uh, their uh, their lens or whatever, you know, the, um, and creating an, and something unique and, um, in- engine kid in a way was trying to do that as well. I don't know. If we were as successful at doing that, but um, you know, that's 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 kind of where 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 our heads were at at the time. And I was, oh, go ahead. Oh, Sorry,
4: I was going to say I think it's all about filters. You know, I mean, I've kind of come to that later. Just like you're choosing, you know, what, But then you also have your own voice and how you express that. So you're you're filtering all this, yeah. stuff, and then it comes out of you, um, and to find you know that voice on your instrument as well um and i don't know that's what it's all about for me um in life
3: (laughs) right and then yeah and, and yeah go ahead sorry and that's what i and that's what i love about iceburn now they're they're still doing that you know and and i like to think myself as a musician too that it's the same thing i'm just continuing to grow and and learn and um, develop as a musician, not being stuck in one particular style or mode of making music. Um, And again, going back to like first, I mean, Engine Kid was the first band where it was exploring that and um, had decided to take that direction with music Um, because everything I'd been in before um was very, you know, orthodox hardcore bands. Great. I've no regrets about playing with those bands and was amazing had amazing experiences and learned a lot. But um Engine Kid was kind of the first band it was like, okay, well we can take you can take this. It doesn't have to be confined to a specific style or set of rules anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. And one, I was gonna say too, one of the things that I hear on the Engine Kid side and uh for all I know the, what I'm hearing is probably influenced by the same stuff you are. But I heard a lot of like side two of My War, like in the guitar parts, like a lot of like the Black Flag. But for all I know, Greg Gin was probably also listening to, you know, Mahavishnu
3: Orchestra or what, whatever.
2: I heard some Rat Eyes. <laughs> that oh, was it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Rat uh, Eyes. Side two, My War, always, always. Yeah.
3: yeah. Very, that's life to this to this day life that's, that's, Yeah, that's my, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know that's that's my life um but you know it's funny you mentioned that because uh I, you know within the last i don't know 10 years or so i've read read some things about greg in in particular that he was huge into that and i think rollins had mentioned it as well that that's what the band was listening to back in that, um, and that, uh, that era of, of flag. Um, so it, it, the name keeps on popping up. I mean, John McLaughlin is just an incredible guitar player and, and the, 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 his playing is just unbelievable. It's, 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 it's otherworldly really, you know? And, and he, I mean, to me, it's kind of like almost like, you know, the equivalent of John Coltrane and, or, or Miles Davis really like, but on guitar, like really just incentive. And like, where is he coming up with these, these chords and these sounds? It's just unbelievable. Um, massive, it massive,
4: massive. What's that? I said he got it from his guru. He- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to have to do some digging on uh, a yeah. Vishnu orchestra. Yeah. Like uh, McLaughlin and Santana actually had the same guru for a while, and they did a record of Coltrane stuff. That's pretty amazing as well. So
3: that's a great record. That's a that's an that's a uh, that's a great record. Yeah, highly recommended. Highly recommended.
4: Also, early, uh, I think before Mahavishnu, he did Emergency with Tony Williams and Jack Bruce from Cream. That's right.
3: Yeah, uh, La- Lifetime. Yeah, yeah Lifetime. T- 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 Emergency. Tony Williams' lifetime, which is, yeah, kind of like one of the very first um, jazz, you know, the blending of jazz and rock was one of the first examples of that with Tony Williams being Miles Davis' drummer and then Jack Bruce, of course, from Cream. And um, and uh, and then John McLaughlin coming from a, a jazz influence as well. And um, the late 60s, Super you loud. know, the, the birth... The birth, the birth of fusion.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, how was the response to the release after it came out, and how were the live shows?
4: Well, there, there's hey, a how? show I came across, um, which was probably kind typical of typical—that Chicago Fireside Bowl. I saw that. Yeah, you have a set from us and a set from Educid. Kid. Oh yeah, yeah. It's so we were playing like Engine Kid was loud and blowing up the PA and you know tearing it up and then we were started out so quiet it's so awkward but I love that set from both bands like um pretty amazing um that it came together
3: It's funny, like looking back, I don't really remember what the reaction was, and I just remembered we didn't, we did not Fair. care at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is funny. It's like I don't know. I guess I don't know. We were just so we were kind of just all of us were just in a on a mission together. It seemed like in a way, and, and we knew that we were we, we knew we were kind of the outcasts, and that that people probably wouldn't understand what we were doing um, or wouldn't care. So it was like, well, we're not really concerned with what the reaction is going to be. And um, I remember the thing that sticks in my head about that release is that um, uh, Revelation has some really funny quote in their catalog or the flyer that they had for it. It was like, it was like a puzzle wrapped up in an enigma wrapped in wrapped in something else it was like really this kind of like vague statement about how confusing the record was and i was like wow i don't know if what people if people looking at that like trying to figure out what to do with like what this is all about it's going to be even more confusing you know and like but well, that was what revelation was was uh promoting the record at the time but um yeah, we, I I just honestly, man, I uh, I just don't really remember giving like caring what people thought about it. We were just so excited about what we were doing and in, in the moment, and yeah. that's one thing I really love about that time as well is that we were, you know, of course, there's no <laughs> there's no internet and there's no real feedback from your peers uh, or as much feedback as there is now, where you can immediately you know, find out what people, somebody who thinks of you and, uh, you right. know, it could, it can affect, uh, how you, how you, you know, how you, how you feel and maybe possibly affect what you create, which I think is, um, unfortunate at times. And back then it was like, well, there was none of that. So we were just, we were just like just going for it, you know, full speed ahead, no matter what. Um, all the time. And, and, and I think that produced some really um, interesting and um, daring <laughs> um, results and, in music. Absolutely. And I noticed
1: that the vinyl um, and actually Discog says too. So the Iceburn side, there only is Dances 1093, uh, the, the, dance's alternate one it's listed on the vinyl but it's not on the vinyl it's like very confusing it's on the it's on if you go on spotify or the cassette it's there but not the vinyl and then on engine kid there's only two tracks um it is missing the the shining path um is not on the vinyl but yeah
3: yes yeah those were those were cassette and CD bonus tracks, if I remember correctly.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. speaking of the vinyl, yeah. though, I, I I love the little et, you know, the etchings. So, Gentry, a dearth of sauce is the etching on the ice burn side.
4: What is that? That, that comes from prank call things we were doing. Um, <laughs> pizza tapes, maybe. Um, and we would call pizza places a prank em. This is pre you know phone id or whatever caller id right so and we used to just goof on that and go crazy like jeremy from um jeremy from inside was so great with that would just call like 7-eleven and ask him how many chocolate footballs he left on their counter um and that was from like a a pizza you know, prank—just a dearth of sauce, if you please. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: definitely,
3: Richard un- Jacobs' lo- I, thing as well. We're
1: unlocking all the mysteries here.
4: Yeah,
3: I, I love, that- I, I love, I love, I love the Rite of Spring and the Mahavista Orchestra, and John Cage influences, and then uh, you know, Jerky Boys too, of course. Don't forget <laughs> yeah. also, also, yeah. also
2: an influence.
3: <laughs> so
1: that, that Greg, That's the so engine, great. the engine kid side says shags are in huh
3: Is that in. In. maybe that's haircuts? I, that, that might have been yeah it's probably a haircut I mean I don't I feel like I feel like Rich Jacobs and Jordan Cooper <laughs> came up were, with those were involved yeah that sounds I don't know
4: have you heard the
2: shags though well the I was band thinking band? the shags
1: the band but there's two G's yeah. this only had the
3: one. Oh, okay yeah, no, I-, I think it was, that's, that's something I I, I want to say that was Jordan and, uh, Rich Jacobs. I, yeah. to, to my recollection, Rich Jacobs had a huge part in all of this because we were all, he was all, we were all part of the same circle. Obviously he did the artwork for the ice burn side. And I know he had a, I don't know if he worked at revelation or if he was really close with Jordan, but He he was really a big part of this too, if I remember correctly, and and maybe that was a maybe that was something he came up with. I don't know. (laughs) We should have
1: used our lifeline and had Jordan call a friend. Yeah, Yeah, call a (laughs) phone.
4: Or or rich, or Or rich, Rich, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You'll have to get on.
2: Maybe
1: you know. Maybe we need Rich if you're listening. Maybe we need you for a bonus episode. Bonus episode. Yo, that would be
2: sick. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this is the first split Revelation did, and they were probably learning, but I my last question was how did it feel to see the different versions of the artwork on the tape and on the CD and then on the LP, because I think Rich's painting is so killer. And then the artwork from the engine, the engine kid side is so awesome, but then it kind of gets reduced to the, the slashed in the middle, um, diamond
1: or the cassette has on the cassette.
2: It's not the cassette. It's got the two next to each other, which looks cool. But if you look at the CD, I think the CD EP had the, the same thing that you see on on uh, streaming services where it's like the two together, but then slash in the middle.
3: It's weird how, uh, I, I don't, you know, man, I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I'm sorry, but it's weird how think back now about how kind of disconnected with um, that we were and just kind of like the presentation and packaging in general. It's kind of like, I remember like I had a little seven inch label, in the late eighties, early nineties called battery. And it was this thing where it's like, you get the artwork from the band finally, and you just kind of send it off in the mail. And it's like, whatever comes back, boom, that's what you got, you know? And I, I don't even remember test pressings, to be honest with you so much back then as well. Like it wasn't something like now where it's like, okay, well, you want to make sure you there's all these steps in the process that you really, you sign off on. And you really, you're vigilant and careful about um, cause you want it to come out as, is, uh, you know, the way you envisioned it back then, it was just like, well, uh, hope, you know, here, here, hope, uh, hope for the best type thing. And I feel like that was kind of the thing with, um, uh, with what we did on, on our contribution to that. It's like you send it in the mail and then six months later, you have something in your hands That's you know, uh, sometimes we forgot, you know, what, 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 yeah. what it was going to look like or anything like that. Um, which is kind of funny. I don't mean to get off subject, but I remember Jor- I think Jordan was saying that the engine kid angel wings record was one of the very first records he ever worked on um, on a computer with the band or something like that. Cause we actually drove down from Seattle to uh, Huntington to, um, to take, you know, basically work out the cover artwork. And that was a, such a huge deal for us at the time to do that because everything that we have done, anything i have done, any band I'd ever been in, it's like you get it together and the best you can, or the best that you've heard that you're supposed to submit it in, you send it off to the pressing plant and then, you know, you cross your fingers type of thing. <laughs> or, or in some cases you like, don't even remember what you set off, you know? Um, so, so I was long winded on that, but I don't even, you were mentioning the different presentation of the artwork. I, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't
4: even know. The CD singles, uh, CD singles were like a, a little sleeve, like a mini record, almost. What is that? Yeah. Oh yeah. It had it yeah. on both sides.
1: Sometimes between yeah. the three of us, or no, it wouldn't be between. It'd be among the three of us. My high school English teacher would be upset saying between the Twix. Um, Twix. Sometimes we have all three formats, but today between uh, among us, we only have. The uh, vinyl, and then these guys have the tape. So I don't, I don't I know one in the to
3: garage.
1: See. probably. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if they did do the, uh, which doesn't make sense because if it's like a little record, I don't know why it wouldn't have been both. But Jason, hey, are you sure the about
0: n- that? The nineties were confusing yeah. times.
1: Yeah. So well. I guess to 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 wrap up, um, so we so here's the thing: we usually do hot tracks, hot but tracks. I, this this is another one where it's it's kind of it's kind of hard. To like reduce it to something like that and say yeah. hot tracks or, um, you know, any any type of stuff like that. So for me, I can't like. Well, for one, the vinyl only has the one track on the burn side. So I guess Dance is ten ninety three is my hot track <laughs> for the burn side.
4: Which side do you like better, or which one do you like better?
1: It's hard. It's honestly hard to pick because I I I really enjoy both sides. Um, but I, I, am, I do love the, that black flag sounding guitar from the Engine Kid um, stuff and that spoken word uh, stuff going on, on on the last, I guess it'll be the last track on the vinyl is, is pretty rad. But this is a record, I think, like, I don't want to say like, I would, it's like really cool to just kind of put on and just chill.
0: Yeah, you know the YouTube it, This record on YouTube is just one track all the way through of all of the songs, both sides. So you can just sit down and listen to it. Uh, hopefully, the copyright infringement is not gonna you know make anyone upset right now. But you can listen to, and it, it it's kind of almost hard to tell where it it begins and ends. The real difference is, is that some of it has saxophone and some of it has trumpet. That's kind of like, yeah, that's just,
1: where you can tell. Cause I was the same with me mm-hmm. is like when you're listening on Spotify and I was like working, you know, while working, it's like almost like, oh crap, the, the engine it's, we're on the engine kit side. Yeah, if, now.
0: if you were like uninitiated into both bands, you could just someone could think like, oh, this was just one band and they're doing a lot of different stuff. It's not too far off because you don't hear vocals on either side. Like, yeah, of course it's different recordings and, and that. But like, if you're if it's just kind of on in the background. Um, but me, myself, I actually really like the way this record starts out. Like the first few minutes, it's quiet and kind of builds and it's got the, the sax. That's my kind of favorite hot part. part you can call my, it hot, my hot part of this <laughs> the, uh, the movement I was gonna say the the
1: sax at the beginning is cool and it reminds me of one of those like old detective shows or something like you'd hear that you'd hear the sax and you just see the guy in the you know the trench coat smoking the cigarette and the voiceover like <laughs> it was a cold december night and you just hear that <laughs> <laughs> like that was the first thing i thought of i don't know like it, it, uh, it gave be that vibe i I got to say,
2: go ahead. (laughs) What's that?
4: (laughs) I said it's actually initially played by a bassoon way out of the bassoon player's register. So they have to struggle and they were trying to make it sound like a, an ancient Russian folk instrument by, by having that kind of weird timbre to the whole thing. But then, so that, you know, part translated to the saxophone. I think it's still, Retains that weird ethereal kind of vibe,
2: anyway. I gotta say, the live footage of you playing that sax part and guitar is killer. It's <laughs> yeah, when it's I cool. saw that, I was like, "Whoa!" With an ebow,
4: I have uh, oh, an yeah. electric bow. It's an ebow thing. I used like to, to
1: me, this stuff seems like it would be really cool live. Yes, like, be, I thought the same. To just be in a show, because I feel like you know, we, like Greg and, and Gentry, we both talked about dynamics like to be there live and experience the dynamics of it being real quiet and then it getting really loud and where you can, you know, f- like feel it in your chest when you're watching the band. I just think both of these sides, like I would love if there was a show where it was just this record and you just kind of sit there, you know, taking
3: it all in from an audience perspective. Well, it, it, and it's interesting that, you know, cause uh, Iceburn was so amazing live. I, I, I I was, whenever we would be able to play with them, it was just such a, an, a treat. And I would just soak up every single second of their set. It was incredible. But the other thing going on that was really, that made it really uh, in, interesting, I guess, was for lack of a better word is, is the audience's reaction. Because most of the people that would come to see an Iceberg show uh, were there because of, Music that they liked from that band that they were definitely not going to hear that night. <laughs> so there was this really interesting tension in the room as well, where people were like, I want to hear something off Hephaestus or I want to hear something off Fire on, but Iceberg was always like a year or two ahead of whatever they had already released, uh, even if it was on the same tour. So it was like, it created this interesting tension in the room too, especially when they would get really quiet as well, people were like, what's going on? What's happening? I don't know this song and this isn't isn't something I heard off of Fire On, you know, it was like, it it also added to the whole thing. To me, that made it, uh, the awkwardness and the tension made it even more intense in what they were doing. And they would, to me, they were feeding off of that as well. They didn't let it affect them in a negative way. They were like, it would inspire them to go even further and, even, and be even more extreme, which was was amazing. So, it's punk. Uh, incredible, incredible live experience to see that band play.
4: Thank you.
0: Yeah,
4: and I was thinking about how the two two Iceburn tracks. You know, Greg was talking about how they lost their drummer. Um, right before and we're kind of transitioning each one of those has um, a different drummer Dan Day is on one with uh, Randy on percussion and the other one so we we had recorded that piece I think the second version is live um, at like um, probably up at the university but um, people were really respectful in a way especially in that environment so you don't really hear anything Um, but that's kind of the switch for us from, uh, Poetry of Fire was recorded in the studio the same time this, um, stuff was, and, and then Meta Tevolutions was next with that same lineup that's, uh, on the bonus track, I guess. Okay. So at that point you had a wasn't in the group. Yeah. He kind of split, um, and that, that may have been right before, because I remember Dan was definitely on those um, Engine Kid Iceburn tours. I, I can have we had some. Oh yeah, absolutely. But
3: but but Gentry, who plays on the who plays on the split? I thought it was. Uh, is it, I thought it was Chuba that played on that. There's on the well, dance 1093, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah, and then there's a second. The bonus version is the meta Oh the live one.
3: Oh right. Okay. Okay. Okay.
4: Okay. And then we basically, we actually throw out a little tidbit from Meta on the um, 10, maybe on both of them. Um, and, and that's a part that was basically, I took the word revolt, and I had this system of turning letters into um, pitches. So if you spell out the word revolt, or revolution, actually, in the beginning um that's where this melody comes from that kind of just floats over the thing so that wasn't really f- from Stravinsky but of course that piece kind of caused a revolution so we threw that in there it's cool yeah like it's so, amazing yeah that's like incredible. it's stuff
1: you would never you would, <laughs> stuff you would never think like to to do like it's just it's cool and that's why you know we're super thankful to be able to talk to you guys about this record because there's for us there was a lot of mystery um and i know for other people and people are excited to hear about this one um and
2: i you yeah, know i get I, I guess that's pretty much it no guys yeah i got i got one last question because Is it Greg was cut off what's the best accused record
4: uh that's but did you reissue Martha Splatterhead?
3: Man, they kept on using that name, that title, over and over and over again. Oh, okay. The five-song EP, the Martha, the Martha Splatterhead EP, which is like five songs, like released nineteen eighty-five. That's that's the one. I think I think that eventually came out on Earache. Like that was, I think it was Earache number one, actually. Oh wow! Like the like the very first Earache, or or the second Earache, or something like that. But and I think they called it the Return of Martha that I can't remember but um oh, but that five song EP was amazing because they started out they were just like a blazing American hardcore band from like nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty four and then they got really into um Metallica and Slayer and they they started changing the sound and it became more um way more uh, metallic. But they were all still funk rockers, you know, and um but that first first demo that they did the Martha Splatterhead EP, that's the that's just incredible it's still a little bit it's still, it's still, it's, it's still very hardcore <laughs> um, but it's got like some it's got some metallic <laughs> to it <laughs>
0: that I didn't ask about the engine kid songs seem to be about a lake in Washington state. And I Googled it and it says, this just might be the most beautiful hike in all of Washington. Nice. And the Lake 22 trail, right? Because it's trailhead at Lake 22 is the first track on the engine kid side and it says that it's a 5.8 mile loop that you'll never forget. So if you're ever in drizzly Washington and you need a hike, I would google that and maybe slap this split on while you're walking around and uh maybe, you know, take find some mushrooms and eat them and see if they're the magic <laughs> kind. And Dude, that would be
1: that sounds <laughs>
0: Oh, you're on Edgewatch I didn't, now. Just for you. Like, oh yeah, well, Maybe. Oh yeah. I didn't, that I didn't know that you were already recording. You know, I I felt kind of weird after I told them that when you listen to it on YouTube, it just kind of sounds like one song for all both bands. But, it, you know, if, if like I said, if you're not really into either band and you just hear this, like if I had this on. I
1: wouldn't even stick it on if you're not familiar. Right. Like,
0: like if I had this on in the living room, my wife would just be like, oh, we listened to one song for 40 minutes just now or whatever it is, you know, like she would think that's it's a possibility. I could see how someone could get that. But I also don't think that's a bad thing. I also what... listen to Sleep Dope Smoker which is basically one or Jerusalem, which is like one fucking 70 minute track. And it's, you know, that's some heavy. Well, that's,
1: that's what I was going to say is saying that it all flows together to me is not an insult. Like it kind of speaks to the, the collaborative effort of both bands and like having both guys here talk about, they were sort of influenced by the same stuff and the use of dynamics and you know for most like there's no vocals on it like obviously if there were the vocals it would be but it's like it's instrumental music like i don't really think that's a wild or a b- bad claim sure um but i'm just this is a cool record man like i i think i've said Iceburn and engine kid were not stuff as a youngster that i was familiar with but i I'm loving both like because of the pod. You know, I kind of knew when we started this, like I was like, all right, there's gonna be certain stuff I want to kind of get a jump start on and dig into. And um both have been super rewarding listens um for me and uh hopefully for other people too. Hopefully people that are fans of the pod like go and, and listen and yeah. the uh you know the new Iceburn record, like I said, is great. I would say that's a great place even to start. Like if you're kind of, oh, I'm curious about Iceburn, get, get the new record. It's awesome. And then the Engine Kid, uh, you know, get the box. Get Angel Wings. I know Hav, you're a huge Angel Wings. Love Angel fan. Wings. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was awesome to talk to those guys. You know, both super cool. Um, and as a fan of both, and you know, a fan of Southern Lord. You know, like Southern Lord's another label for me where like I hear something's on there and I'm like more prone to check it out than maybe some other things. You know what I mean? Like they kind of have that uh, branding for me where I'm like, oh, shit, it's on Southern Lord. I better check it out. So,
2: yeah. And the new Iceburn. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the new Iceburn is called Asclepius. I hope I pronounced that correctly.
1: And uh, yeah, if you're into the Melvins. And that kind of, you know, the heavier side of stuff. Uh, I think you'll enjoy
2: it. I was going to say, when we started the pod, this was the one of the releases that everyone seemed to bring up for some reason. This and yeah. Whirlpool. Weird. Yeah. yeah. Because they're yeah. kind of mysterious releases. And I mean, when we dove into this one, I appreciated it. Um, and seeing the live videos is awesome. So people well, like seek those like
1: out. Like Javier said, when I think when you're listening to it, in the way that we're doing it where it's like for research and you're, you, you look at it differently. You don't just see it as this, like, and also I think us going in order makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, even though, like I said, this is the most far out there release so far. Like, it's not like we just did the, the, you know chain of strength episode and then
2: this is yeah the next thing. but would you say this is an essential rev release
1: um i mean it yeah sort of it's, I, it's the first split it's the first split that's already a big thing yeah and it's um it's all better off exactly yeah. i think that this this was the point too where you went no matter what it sounds like it could be on the label yeah exactly Um, And Hav, will you tell me, I feel like, you know, Jordan said both these bands are important to the Rev history.
0: Yeah. Um, Uh, You know, I think this is a real, again, like we're in some, some weird territory with Rev releases. And this is the start of maybe the weirdest of the weird, right? It's the first split, the first instrumental uh, it's, it's a big risk for a record label. Um, but it paid off in the long run, you know, uh, Rev, um, didn't, it wasn't just about New York hardcore anymore. It was yeah. a, like, could be about anything could be about fucking jazz and yeah. taking mushrooms in the woods and fucking on who on knows what else go uh, sucking on a comet's tail and all kinds of weird <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> Yeah,
1: but it's like I, I liked to um, just the, you know, talking to both guys and i always – and I know I mentioned it in the other Iceburn episode, but like I'll always think like I have a wide musical taste <laughs> and it's like I don't know shit, man. Like these guys are busting out all this jazz stuff and fusion and stuff where I, I have no frame of reference and it just kind of shows you too with music. There's always you can always dig deeper. You've um, come to learn. You've got a lot to learn. Exactly. <laughs> so like you know, just even and even the accused. Like I never listened to the accused. Uh, I'm gonna check them out. Mahavishnu Orchestra, some of that jazz stuff. Um,
0: yeah, that's that's
1: all I got. I just all right, what do is, uh,
0: what do we got on our next episode, fellas? So next time.
1: We have do we do we dare say what the next episode is? Yeah, or do kick we, it.
0: If someone's listening to this long, they deserve to know, <laughs> know what we're doing next. Um,
1: next time we're we're taking another step back, but I think it'll be worth it. We are going to revisit the side by side seven inch mm. with Sammy again, with Sammy
0: again, and some also special jewels. guests
1: Jules. Jewel, And Billy, Mm -hmm. so um, that'll be cool, I think. And um, I think we'll get we'll we'll, you know when we did when we first did Sammy, that was actually the first interview Javier and I did Mm -hmm. uh, when we did when we were with Sammy. So now that we're seasoned pros, I think this will be an enlightening, an enlivening
0: conversation. Enlivening. All right. Well, hey everybody. (laughs) thanks for tuning in this was it was really cool to talk to those guys and um i'm i'm stoked that we you know we got to do this shit it's it's awesome yeah and we look
1: forward to talking you know there's engine kid and iceberg stuff down the pipe
0: down the pipe <laughs> down the pipe he said it later guys all right see you later bye-bye see you What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went Podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top-tier patrons. Billy Tennell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Matty Cox, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you would like to become a patron, please visit www.whereitwentpodcast.com, and you'll find information of how to join. And there's uh, some other cool stuff on the website. So, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye.